Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week, we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Also, keep your eyes and ears open for a new podcast we're launching on Monday, December 4th, the Creative Thinking Podcast with Kim Thomas. It'll begin with three weeks focusing on the Advent season. You can subscribe now in your favorite podcast app. Now for this week, here's Pastor Jim. Hey, so glad you've joined me again today on Timeless Truth for our ongoing study of Mark's Gospel. We'll be in chapter 6 today, but before we start, I want to thank those of you who have left comments or sent us emails. Uh, It's so encouraging to know that uh, this podcast is of encouragement to you and your study of God's Word. We've heard from folk this week from the UK. Uh, We've heard from folk from India. We've heard from folk in Canada and, of course, all over the United States. And so while our numbers aren't massive or anything like that, we are just really thrilled and blessed to know that God is using this podcast in some way to encourage you in the faith and and build you up in the gospel, the good news of the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. So today... Uh, We continue in Mark chapter 6. I'll be reading, let's say, verses 30 and on down to 44. This is a familiar uh, story to most of you, I'm going to say, but let me remind you not to allow familiarity to breed any kind of indifference because there's always something great and wonderful as we approach God's Word. Um, The setting is this. It's the public ministry of Jesus. It's been ongoing. He has sent the 12 disciples out and uh, sent them out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. They've been doing that as as well. And some of them have come back and are now going to talk to Jesus a little bit about what their experience was like as they went out. Verse 30, the apostles. Now, by the way, that's an interesting title there because uh, they've been called disciples, followers, apprentices, if you will, of Jesus. Apostles means sent ones. And so they're sent out. And in the very, very broadest uh, sense of that word, we we are all who are followers of Jesus, we're all sent out. Um, so there's that. But then there, of course, with these original 12, these are folk that actually walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus. Uh, they had encounters with Jesus where they saw him heal people. They heard him preach what we call the Sermon on the Mount, for instance, or some some of that kind of content. He taught them to pray the Lord's Prayer, and they weren't just reading it in a book like we are. Um, he actually taught on prayer, probably many, many times taught on prayer, but uh, in particular, we read about that in Matthew uh, chapter 6. Here in Mark chapter 6, uh, the disciples who've been sent out, now called apostles because they're sent out, gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. I think this is great. I mean, I'd love to see these guys, you know, getting back together, coming in, maybe one, you know, in the morning, a couple of guys come back in the in the uh, afternoon, a couple of other guys come back the next day, that sort of thing. But once they're all together around a campfire, and they start talking about what happened when they went out on mission, sent by Jesus to do that. And at verse 31 of Mark chapter 6, Jesus says to them, Come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. And I I always want us to take 
special note of Jesus when he's talking to his disciples, now the apostles. Uh, in this particular case, they've you know, they're coming off of the, the news as that middle portion of Mark chapter 6 was all about the, the, the fate of John the Baptist and that he had been beheaded, he had been put to death um, uh, by Herod Antipas. Um, and so that certainly would have been a sobering thing for them. And um, they're out on mission. Some of them probably heard about that while they were out. They come back to Jesus. They're sitting around. Perhaps they're telling stories about John the Baptist. Jesus certainly knew him well. They were related. And um, John the Baptist being the one that actually publicly identified Jesus as the Messiah, you know. And so they're sitting around telling those kinds of stories. They begin talking about what happened when Jesus sent them out on mission. And then as Jesus hears all of this, and he knows he's a He's a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. Um, he's their teacher, but he's also their pastor, their shepherd. And he senses in them that they need some time apart to rest. And so he says to them, come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest a while. Some of the translations, the English translations will say, come apart. And I always like to say, man, if you don't if you don't come apart and rest, you're just going to come apart at some point. And Jesus certainly knew that as well. He himself withdrew several times to a lonely place to pray, uh, to be quiet, to uh, uh, refresh and restore himself. And I, you, you know, I, people talk all the time about how extroverts and introverts recover differently. Um, some people love people and being around people all the time. I'm, I'm pretty much an extrovert in that regard. But even I, at some point in time, um, when we're leaving church, you know, after being doing a couple services and uh, several hundred people talking with them and to them, all that sort of thing, um, sometimes Kim and I get in the car and we, we almost every Sunday look at each other and say, tired or hungry? Which one? are we going to tend to in this particular moment? And I got to tell you, tired often wins. And so we go home and we eat whatever happens to be there. And we're going to talk about food in a minute. That's why I thought I'd th toss that in as well. But the need for rest, the need to restore, the need to refresh, re you know, to, to, to even eat something to kind of restore yourself or to just get some quiet time alone. And this time, in this particular occasion, uh, in Mark's gospel, in verse 31, he makes it clear there were many people coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat. And so you can, you can sense the, you know, the energy, the, 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 the people pulling at the mall. Now that the disciples also have gone out and preached and also have healed people, also have cast out demons, it's, it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus the 12 doing all of this. And so people are coming from everywhere. And as they return and converge together into their one little uh, disciple slash apostle huddle with Jesus, there are lots of people probably following. Them. Hey, don't forget my cousin. Hey, don't forget my neighbor. And, and they're all coming and, and throngs of people, lots of people seeking their attention and their ministry. Jesus says, we've got to come apart and rest or we're just going to come apart. Well, here's what happened. The people saw them going. They got in this boat, right? And they were going to go off to a lonely place. Verse 33. And the people saw them going. So the people on the land are like watching them. The Sea of Galilee, by the way, at the northern part where they might have been, uh, 
is probably only three or four miles, you know, across. And so from the western side to the eastern side on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, you can see a, a good ways out uh, onto the water. You can see Jesus and his disciples in that boat. And the people saw them going, and many recognized them. In other words, they knew it was their boat. And uh, they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So they could tell on the shore which direction the boat was going. And they, like ants, you know, from if you were in the boat and you're looking back at the land, it would have just looked like a whole bunch of people. You could might, maybe couldn't identify one of their faces, but you could just see them all going like this along the shoreline, kind of, hey! yelling, screaming, don't forget about us, you know, that sort of thing. And finally, they're they're going off to a more remote location. And the crowd gets there ahead of them, disembarking, verse 34 says, uh, Jesus saw a great multitude and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Compassion is love, but it's love that must do something. Love that must respond to the needs that he sees. What were the needs? He saw them as sheep without a shepherd, the most vulnerable uh, sheep. And he saw them in all of their need, all their vulnerability. And he, the good shepherd, um, even though he's exhausted, even though his disciples are exhausted, he decides we must respond to their need. And so he began to teach them many things. Verse 35, when it was already quite late, so the it, evening has started to come. His disciples came up to him and began to say, uh, the place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. I love this. This is so, so much. I guess they didn't have food trucks back then. Um, so they so they are out in this remote area with no food trucks, no food chariots, or what, however you want to say it. And the disciples recognize it's getting late. They need some food, these people. And I guess the disciples probably needed something themselves. Everybody's got to be tired. And Jesus' answer is not, uh, send the people away. It's send the disciples away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples respond, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? Now, a denarii is the plural. A denarius was a, a one-day workman's wage. So this is like 200 denarii would be 200 days wages. You want us to spend all this money to try and feed all these people and Trust me, what we'll find out later how many people were there. That wouldn't have done it. And so they vastly underestimated the budget they would need to feed all of these people. And yet they're still making that point. We, we couldn't possibly feed them all. And, um, and, and so 200 days wages. I mean, that, that's two-thirds of a year's wages, okay? And uh, Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And they, and remember, Jesus' questions are all rhetorical. He's going to use this to teach them something about who he is, teach us something about who he is, and also uh, how we should respond to him. And so uh, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. They found out. So they, they scour the crowd, the uh, immediate crowd, the, the people that they could reach and talk to, that sort of thing. They come back to Jesus and they say, we have five loaves and two fish. 
And uh, so Jesus commanded them all to recline by groups on the green grass. Now that would imply that it would be in the springtime. And so, so that, that's helpful. I love those kinds of details when we get them in the, uh, in the gospel records. And uh, this is going to be the first account of a good old classic church picnic. And Jesus, so Jesus says, have them all reclined by groups. And they reclined in companies, verse 40 says, of hundreds and fifties. This is just good manage, good crowd management. And Jesus telling the disciples, get them. You go out there. You know, Bartholomew, Matthew, uh, Andrew, Philip, uh, Peter, James, John, you each get a hundred, count them off by hundreds, count them off by fifties, and have them all sit down. So here we got this organized church picnic. And he took the five loaves, verse 41 says, and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food, and he broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided up the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And that word satisfied in the Greek is they were well satisfied. It's the kind of satisfied you feel and I feel at Thanksgiving meal, which uh, at the time I'm recording this, that's coming up. And we all know what that's like. Uh, uh, most of us anyway are fortunate enough to know what that's like. Now, to have literally so much food at the table um, that you find yourself having to reach under the table and kind of loosen your belt a notch. And that's how satisfied these folks were. Five loaves, two fish, and uh, um, a huge crowd. And we're going to find out in a second what the numbers are like. But this is where they're at and what they've experienced after Jesus takes the bread, blesses it, and broke it, and then gave it. And that's what Jesus does all the time with those things that we put in his hands, no matter how large or how small they are. He blesses them. Sometimes he breaks them. And, and often he is just distributing, giving those things away. And he's using his disciples to do that. He's actually drawing them further and further into his ministry. He's already sent them out to preach, to heal, and to do lots of things like that. But now they're taking care of the daily, everyday needs uh, of this group of people who have been following him, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. And then verse 43 and 44, and I'll stop after that. And they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. How many disciples were there? 12. How many baskets full of leftovers were there? 12. I mean, it could have been any number. The fact that it's that number twice, is, let, let's don't miss that, okay? That, I think that's important. Um, that's really interesting. By the way, not 13. But not Jesus plus 12 disciples. 12 baskets full. That's interesting. Verse 44 says, and there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. And so in the other gospel records, which, by the way, all four gospels have this story. It's really important for you to know this story, Jesus, um, making sure we would all know this story and all hear this story. Um, 5,000 men, and when you put that together with the information in the other gospel records, what you see is um, it's 5,000 men plus women and children. So the crowd is 5,000. That's a pretty big crowd. 
But when you add in the women and children, this crowd is likely more 10,000 at least, 12,000, 15,000. I don't know. 5,000 men alone is more than I would expect from five loaves and two fish. So the miracle just keeps getting better and better and more amazing the deeper you get into the details of the miracle. Let me remind you that all of the miracles of Jesus, they're not, it's not just show business. Um, he's not doing this, you know, he, he's not just swinging his coat and throwing, you know, trying to get everybody, oh, you know, so he's not just doing supernatural sensationalism. There's a purpose and a meaning behind all of this. Um, all of the miracles of Jesus, I've said it before, they do five things, arouse curiosity about Jesus, display the authority of Jesus, reveal the compassion of Jesus, affirm the identity of Jesus. If, he's, if he is the Son of God, if he is the Messiah, you would think he could do some of these things. And then fifthly, they inspire worship of Jesus. That's the proper response to what Jesus has done here, moved by compassion. Love that has to act, sees the need. They're like sheep without a shepherd, vulnerable, weak, needy. That's me. That's you sometimes. What a powerful uh, story this is, this account that is in all four gospels, as I said. So um, what do we learn here? What can we take from this for today? Let me just summarize a couple of things real fast. These are disciples. They're, they're called ones and sent ones. So they're disciples and followers. And they're also sent ones apostles. Okay. Uh, and in the very generic sense, we're all called and sent, I would say. So if you're going to take the adventurous road of following Jesus, uh, as we go through Mark's gospel, I'll be saying that kind of a phrase. If you, if you actually respond to Jesus and start to follow him, uh, one, you won't have a send them away attitude toward the uh, toward others at all. Yeah, these guys had that. Hey, Jesus, these people, they're going to be hungry. Uh, let's send them away now. We've, we've worked long and hard all day long, especially you, Jesus, with all your teaching and all the miracles and all that sort of thing. Well, we paddled the boat, you know, and, and we followed you. And there's all these people following and they all want a piece of you. And Lord, it's it's time. Let's call it. Let's call it now. And then they start sort of, sort of like some of them start to say, "You guys, okay, head on home now." And and Jesus says, "No, no, no. Don't send them away. You feed them." And the disciples think the best way is for them all to go back to their hometowns and uh, and hit the local restaurants and pubs and whatever and 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 get a sandwich, you know. And if you're gonna take the if you're gonna take the adventurous road of following Jesus, you're not gonna have a send them away attitude toward others. Sent ones, sent by Jesus anyway, become serving ones. So if you're sent by Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if, you, if you've heard the call of Jesus and you follow Jesus, you're going to be a sent one as well. Uh, and so am I. Number two, if you're going to take the adventurous road of following Jesus, you'll be eager to bring what you have to the Lord, whatever it is you have. See, everything you have was given to you. You didn't you know, there's, there's nothing that you created out of nothing. Everything that has been created was created out of nothing by the only one who can create, it, create anything out of nothing, God. The Lord Jesus was there at the creation event. John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that everything that has been created was created through him. 
Colossians 1 backs that up. The Holy Spirit was there as well. We're told in the book of Genesis, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters as the creation event was taking place. So the, all three members of the Trinity there during the creation event. Everything that exists belongs to God by right of creation. Um, and so we should be eager to bring whatever he's given to us, uh, allowed, entrusted to us, allowed uh, resources that have been allowed to come into our sphere of influence and use. We should bring all of that back to him and say, what would you have us do with this? Our five loaves, our two fish. I imagine the kid with the lunch pail that day that had that in it. You know, maybe he had like a Moses lunch pail or a Elijah lunch pail or something. His mom, when he went out the place, said, take this with you. I want to make sure you have something to eat. Had no idea what would happen to his five loaves and two fish. Um, but Warren Wiersbe, I love uh, I love that sage. I'm, I, I enjoy reading his uh, his books, his commentaries on uh, on the on the Bible and encourage you to do the same but he says you can never be too small for God to use only too big <laughs> I gotta say that again it's so worth it um, you can never be too small for God to use only too big here's a probably one kid's sack lunch or lunch pail or whatever five loaves and two fish you can never be too small for God to use because Jesus will bless it break it and distribute it and begin to use it for his purposes. And it will arouse curiosity about Jesus. It will display his authority. I mean, he's literally, as he's breaking this bread that he's blessed, he's recreating it in his own hands. The fish, the same thing. He breaks off a piece, puts it in a basket held by Matthew. Matthew waits for his basket to be filled up. Jesus keeps breaking it, and the loaf keeps growing in Jesus' hand, and he keeps breaking more off. And eventually... 5, 10, 15,000 people are fed. And that's just brilliant. You can never be too small for God to use, only too big. Third point uh, I think that is really important for us is you can trust your own needs will be met in Christ as you serve Christ, as you serve those he puts in your path, anybody that has a need. doesn't matter if they belong to your church or not. doesn't matter if they believe what you believe or not. Doesn't matter if they look like you. Doesn't matter if they came from the same school or background that you. Doesn't matter if they have different color skin at all. See, in the Bible, there's no room for racism. There's no room for elitism at all. Now, we, we serve, we give because there are needs. We see people like Jesus sees people. Some people, many people, like sheep without a shepherd have great needs. And sometimes God brings those people right into our path where we can see them and we can serve them. And that's really important for us to know. You can trust though that in doing that, your own needs will be met in Christ. How many baskets were left over? 12. How many disciples were there serving that day? 12. And Jesus, the selfless one, um, didn't make it 13 baskets left over. He made it 12 baskets left over. And he's just saying to all of us, he will always, as you are being used by God 
to give away what you need, which is really what we ought to be doing every day. You come to church. Some of you go to church somewhere else in another country, another state or whatever, or maybe you, maybe you do come to the village chapel. But when you come in, here's what I'd encourage you. When you go into your church, when you walk in, seek to give away what you think it is you need. You need somebody to say hello to you, then you say hello to somebody. You need somebody to care for you or comfort you in some way. Look for somebody you can care, somebody you can comfort, and watch what happens as the Lord, <laughs> as the Lord blesses you, even in your brokenness to serve others, you will find there is plenty left over of the Lord's resources for your needs to be met. I'm going to close with this Richard Bauckham quote from his book, Losing and Finding Self. He said, finding our true selves in Christ, we identify with him who loved us. Follow his way of self-giving for God and for others, and thus continually find ourselves afresh in him. The Christian self both gives and finds itself in the love of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Lord, Lord, be with us today. Show us opportunities where we can serve you and serve others, that we might do all of that to the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At The Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.